Father, we thank you so much for your blessings. And Lord, I thank you that your blessings are, they really, truly are pouring, pouring out. As Jesus, <laughs> Jesus was talking about giving, he wasn't just talking about giving financially. Give and it would give you, be given back to you. Give what? Give, give joy. Give hope. Give love. Give, give these things. And, and he said, and the windows of heaven, that's in Malachi, the windows of heaven shall, shall, God will open the windows of heaven and his blessings will pour out. Then, you know, Jesus said, you know, press down, shaken together, running over. We thank you, Lord, for your blessings. Help us to see where we need to sow them. And I thank you, Lord, and praise you. I ask that as we open the word together, you help me to, to, to speak it, to speak it out, to articulate it the way you desire it to be spoken. Help my my tongue be the pen of a ready writer, as the word said. I thank you and praise you, and in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> well, we do have the kids with us this morning. I think that I was ill-prepared. I, you know, Barbara gave me plenty of warning and announcement, and I was like, oops, I really dropped the ball on this one. So, kids, I'm sorry, I don't have questions for you. Um, did he say that was okay? Blessing, Okay. I, I received that. I received that. <laughs> He's like, blessings on you, Pastor. Thank you. I need it. So, um, so yeah, the, I, I do have a, one announcement before we get into this. So this year, we, we're not going to do Fall Fest because of the protocols and everything in place. And uh, what we decided to do instead is to pour more into Operation Christmas Child this year because that is an outreach, powerful outreach around the world. People get... Uh, I mean, lots of kids get saved, and then what, what's been happening is, is that there have been new churches springing up all over the place just because of these kids that receive these boxes from people and believers give them letters of encouragement, and, and what happens is, is that after that, the kids can come back and, and they go through a, uh, just a simple teaching about how to receive Jesus as Savior, and so there are churches springing up all over the world as a result of this. So this is a very powerful ministry. Uh, so what we'll do then is the money that we were going to put into Fall Fest, we will instead get, um, the church is going to go out and get all of the supplies, you know, and things of that nature. And we're going to have a day, I think there's one day that we decided what we'll do. We'll, so we'll have a day where everybody can come and pack boxes, and we'll pray over the boxes before we get ready to send them out. And it'll be, a, I think, a really, it's just really, um, in my heart, I feel it'll be extremely successful. God will, God will really bless it. Um, and uh, of course, anybody can can uh, um, get boxes on their own. I mean, you can you can buy stuff on your own, pack your own boxes, bring them, or or do both. Whatever you want to do, if you want to pack your own boxes and bring them, or pack boxes and bring them and come and help stuff the the, the boxes that we're going to do. Um, and uh, Tim has volunteered that if anybody wants any information on that, to contact him, and he will get information. He's been doing it for a long time. Um, Tammy can't take it on this year. She's she's got a lot of stu other stuff going on. So Tim's gonna head that up. Um, any questions on that before we move on? No. Yeah. No. It's an awesome ministry, and uh, we'll probably do. I mean, they usually send out a, a yearly video. We'll probably maybe show the video. We can do that now. <laughs> you know, so we show show videos, and they always have awesome testimonies. It's great. So uh, before we get into the word today, I'm going to tell you a story. So, at one time, there was a very powerful king whose kingdom spread from horizon to horizon. Vast lands, vast wealth, vast army, uh, vast amounts of people. And the king was so successful that he decided he was going to throw a banquet for his nobles and his officials just to show them how much he appreciated them. And he decided, no, it's not going to be just a, a banquet for one day or two days or three days or four days, he's like, we're going to throw a banquet for 160 days, half a year, for six months. His nobles were invited to this banquet, and they could come and go as they pleased, and it's an ongoing banquet for 160 days. And then at the end of the 160 days, the king decided, you know, it's not enough to show my appreciation just to the nobles, but I'm also going to show my appreciation to the common people. So he decided to throw another banquet for seven days for the common people. He opened up his palace garden. So the people, the poorest of the poor of the land, were free to come into the king's palace garden. And he spared no expense for this one. He, 
he, he uh, ordered uh, white cotton curtains with blue hangings, and he had them uh, tied to silver rings that were embedded in marble pillars. He had gold and silver couches that were sitting out on a pavement of mosaic, uh, uh, expensive, costly stones. There was no limit to the amount of wine, and the festivities went on and on for seven days, and at the end of the seven days, the king was in such high spirits that he decided, I'm going to invite my queen to come so everyone can see her beauty because she was an extremely beautiful woman. And so the king called for his queen to come. And the queen said, no, I will not come. And of course, this extremely this angered the king because not only had she dishonored him, she had dishonored him in front of everybody, in front of all his guests. And so the king asked his advisors, what should we do? What, what, what should we do about this? And they said, well, according to the laws of the land, she ought to be banished. And the king, in his anger at the time, said, okay, we'll do that. So he banished the queen. But a few days later, he began to think about the circumstances. He began to ponder the fact that the queen had been banished, you know, his, his request to her, how she had said no. And his servants could see that he was beginning to be troubled in his heart. And so the servants knew there was nothing that could be done about the queen because in this particular kingdom, once a law was passed by the king, it couldn't be changed even by the king himself. And so the servants said, Your Majesty, you ought to find yourself another queen. They said, We suggest that you have a, a beauty contest, essentially. All, but this was open to not just women of noble birth, but any, any woman in the kingdom. So any woman had now had, had the chance before her to become the queen of this nation. And so the king said, I like this idea. So women from all over the land were brought and, and were, they were to receive six months of beauty treatments before they went to see the king. Many months of beauty treatments. before the, And they would have an interview with the king. He didn't just look at her beauty, he would talk with her. And in this same city that the king had his throne, there was a young woman who was an orphan. Her parents had died when she was very young. And so her uncle had adopted her into his home. And this uncle was a wise man. He trained her up in the way she should go, taught her wisdom. And this woman was also taken to receive the beauty treatments and training before she went to see the king. And this uh, particular woman found favor in the eyes of the man who was in charge of this contest. And so he gave her special attention. And he, before it was her time to go in to see the king, he took her aside and he gave her advice about what she was to say. He gave her advice about what she should wear when she went to talk to the king. And she took all of his advice. The king was so pleased with this young woman after he spoke with her that even though she was of common birth, he took the crown and placed it on her head and declared her to be queen by his side. And this is a true story. actually happened. And uh, we can read about it in the book of Esther. Let's turn over to the book of Esther. Assuming I can find the book of Esther. Now in the Bible, the king who threw the banquet was named Xerxes. How would you like to be named Xerxes? He was the king of Persia. And the young woman was Esther, whose Jewish name was Hadassah, because she was a Jew. And her uncle Mordecai was the uncle who had adopted her into his home and taught her so well. And this story was setting the stage for how God was going to deliver his people from an enemy that no one even knew about yet, that, had, that was working behind the scenes. So we're going to pick this up in Esther chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Sometime later, King Xerxes promoted Haman, that's the villain, by the way, Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, over all the other nobles, making him the most powerful official in the empire. All the king's officials would bow down before Haman to show him respect whenever he passed by, for so the king had commanded. But Mordecai refused to bow down or show him respect. Then the palace officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why are you disobeying the king's command? They spoke to him day after day, but still he refused to comply with the order. 
So they, they spoke to Haman about, uh, uh, about it to see if he would tolerate Mordecai's conduct, since Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. So Mordecai is Jewish. Mor uh, this is, Mordecai's, or this is uh, uh, Esther's uncle, Mordecai. So he's the uncle of the queen. Verse 5 says, When Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage. He had learned of Mordecai's nationality, so he decided it was not enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all the Jews throughout the entire empire of Xerxes. So this man, Haman, this villain, definitely has some anger issues, I think. He wants revenge on Mordecai, but revenge on one Jew is not enough. No, he wants to wipe out Mordecai's entire race. This is a man who needs to do a better job of reining in his thoughts. Because Haman wants to destroy all of God's people, all, all the Jews. Isn't, is this a problem? Take a minute to put yourself in their situation. Imagine if you found out there was someone out there who wanted to put your entire family in jail. Not just you. This, this person wants to take your entire family and throw them in jail because they don't like you. And then you find out that the sheriff is going to let him do it. Would you feel kind of nervous? Well, this is worse, because he wants to annihilate all of them. He wants to kill them all. So what happens is Haman comes up with this plan, and he goes to King Xerxes, and he says, there's a, there's a people in your empire that don't follow your rules. They separate themselves from everybody else. And he tells the king, since they don't follow the rules, it's best not to let them live. And then Haman tells the king that if they're destroyed, he'll put 10,000 sacks of silver into the king's treasury. Now, remember that King Xerxes had a huge empire. Haman didn't tell him which people that he wanted to destroy. So the king just went ahead and told Haman, okay, go ahead and do it. So Haman put this into a letter and sent it all throughout the entire empire. There's a certain day that, you're, that we're going to kill all the Jews. And anybody who kills the Jews can take their property. That was their incentive to do it. And so then he sealed these letters with the king's signet ring. That way everyone knew who it was from. They knew that it had the king's seal of approval behind it. Now, remember, I mentioned earlier that in that empire, once a law was made, no one could change it, not even the king. Even if the king wanted to, he couldn't change the law. So this seems like an impossible situation. But God makes the impossible possible. You know, when God told Dallas Jenkins to start filming The Chosen, which is a show I really like, and I really think God's going to use powerfully in this time, when God told him to make this show... He told God, I don't have the money to do this. And through a series of events, God kept reminding him about the loaves and the fish. And then God told him, I do impossible math. <laughs> God always has a plan to help you succeed. You just need to keep your heart and your thoughts close to him. And step out in faith even when God's plan seems hard or doesn't make sense. Sometimes God's plans don't seem to make sense. Actually, that's usually the way it is. Let's go ahead and read more of the story here. Look, look at uh, verse, or excuse me, chapter 4. We'll start in chapter 4 with verse 1. It says, When Mordecai learned about all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on burlap and ashes, and went out into the city, crying with a loud and bitter wail. This is an outward expression of grief because he's found out that Haman's planning on killing all the Jews. He went as far as the gate of the palace, for no one was allowed to enter the palace gate while wearing clothes of mourning. And as news of the king's decree reached all the provinces, there was great mourning among the Jews. They fasted, wept, and wailed, and many people lay in burlap and ashes. When Queen Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was deeply distressed. She sent clothing to him to replace the burlap, but he refused it. Then Esther sent for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed as her attendant. She ordered him to go to Mordecai and find out what was troubling him and why he was in mourning. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the square in front of the palace gate. It's, it's good to note this. I mean, she doesn't know. She doesn't know why he's in mourning. So if you found out that a close relative of yours was in such deep grief, you would say, what's going on? You know, we want to find out what's happening. So uh, verse 7 says, Mordecai told him the whole story including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai gave Hathak a copy of the decree issued in Susa that called for the death of all Jews. He asked Hathak to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. He also asked Hathak to direct her to go to the king to beg for mercy and plead for her people. 
So this is uh, understandable. You know, you're the queen. You have the king's ear. Talk to him about this. Okay, verse 9. So Hathak returned to Esther with Mordecai's message. Then Esther told Hathak to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. So Hathak gave Esther's message to Mordecai. This is a valid, a valid thing to say. I mean, if you go before the king, because this, law has, this, this nation has very strict laws. If you go before the king without being invited, they will kill you unless he holds out his gold scepter. So it's a risk. Okay? At least it, it, it looks like one. Verse 10, then Esther told Hathak, uh, oh, you already did that, look, sorry. Verse uh, 13, Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Esther was an extremely brave woman. Sometimes it takes bravery to stand up for what God has said is right. See, it's popular today for people to just sort of swallow whatever they hear people saying is right. I mean, we see this all the time on Facebook. Someone makes some comment. Oh, well, and then everyone jumps on board. Oh, they're right. Sounds good. But did we take the time to look past the surface or examine it in the light of God's word and say, no, I'm sorry. See, most people are fine with the Bible as long as it doesn't disagree with them. But when the Bible disagrees with what is popular, people start to say it's outdated. It's old, 2,000 years old. And it's not easy to reply with the words, sorry, but God's word is never outdated. But it's the truth. And the reason I bring this up is because Esther is the only book of the Bible that doesn't mention God. It does not mention God once. In this book, nowhere, no one talks about God, no one prays, no one worships. And yet, all throughout the book, you could see God's invisible hand moving and working things out. In fact, God, God is so important to this story that, that many people who read it don't even know that God's not mentioned in it. I didn't know when I first heard about it, and I went back and read, sure enough, God's not mentioned in this book. God did it this way on purpose. Because he is the author of the Bible. And the reason is to give us, and this is what I believe, the reason is, is this gives us a glimpse of what our lives must look like to people who don't know God. How many of you here, you've had, you've had something happen in your life that was such a distressing thing that you knew that it was God who pulled you out? Could not have been any other way. It was God. In your heart, you just know there's no other way. Afterwards, did God make a big deal about him being the one that did it? <laughs> now, now, think about other people that knew you at the time, okay, that, 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 who didn't know God. They had no outward evidence that it was God who did something for you, did they? Unless it was a miraculous delivery. Supernatural couldn't, I mean, unless there was some kind of visual, you know, God's glory, God expression, expressing something supernatural. If it, was, if it was something that was um, understated, they wouldn't have any evidence, right? This is especially important for the day we're living in because there are a lot of academics out there who will tell us that our belief in God is just a fairy tale. But there were events that happened in my life that could have only been God, and no one can convince me otherwise. In my 20s, one time I was stepping off a curb in Home Depot parking lot 
It was a peaceful day. There was no sound of cars even, really. And I was, you know, so I was just looking at the ground. I was, I had, I was absorbed in my thoughts, and I was stepping off the, the curb, and, and then suddenly a voice spoke one word in my heart, stop. I pulled my foot back, and I stopped, and just then this big pickup truck drove by at about 40 miles per hour, I mean, just right next to me. That was God's voice. If he hadn't spoken, I would not be standing here right now. Just now, but So think about this, though. To someone standing by who saw it, there was no outward evidence that God had spoken to me. Are you with me? So unless I told them what God did, how would they know? They wouldn't. And so God not being mentioned in the book of Esther reminds us of the perspective of people who don't know him. Because that's not something that we think about a lot as believers. A believer believes. So as a believer, it's, you know, we, don't, we often don't consider that other people might have no evidence of God. Okay? How can they unless someone introduces them to God? Now that was just one example from my life. There are many others from my life. And I'm sure many of you have examples. But that time in my life, it, it, just like all the times in our lives, it was the invisible hand of God that moved on my behalf. We as believers, we read the Bible, and all the way through we are instructed about who God is, what he is like, and why he does what he does. Not always easy to decipher. Sometimes we, you know, even people who have been believing God for years are like, why did you do this? This was, this was different. But God's a complicated person. Takes years to get to know him and all his motives. But at the same time, on the other side of the coin, because we are believers and we trust him and we have learned to find his character in this book, then it's easy for us to read where it says, and God said, such and such will happen. And then later, we're like, oh yeah, it came to pass because we, he said it would, he would do it. And then we saw him do it in here. That's easy for us, not easy for people out in the world. Because those are examples for us to learn to get to know God. But here in the book of Esther, notice that he doesn't tell us what his plan is. I mean, we've read, many of us have read the book of Esther, so we know how it ends. But if you go back and you look at the beginning of the book, there's no, there's no indication of what God's plan is at all. He didn't even tell us how he was going to work it out, you know. So we, we just, we just kind of, as we read this book, we just kind of watch everything unfold and we say, okay, wow, I can see where God intervened there. Amen? That's the other side. That's what people out in the world see happening in our lives. When they watch us going through a trial, they haven't heard God say, I'm going to deliver this person out of this mess. I mean, I suppose he could, but I would say for the majority of the time, he probably doesn't. And I would say that he doesn't because usually it's common for if we're going through a trial and we come out of it, or we're in the middle of the trial and we're just believing God, they come and say, how come you're so happy all the time? Well, I know you're going through this. If God had told them I'm going to deliver this person out of the mess, they, they wouldn't come and ask, right? Not that he wouldn't. Maybe he, maybe he has. I don't know. Because I don't know what's going on in their heart either. But what they see when they look at us is the mess. If we're going through a mess, they just see the mess. And when we're rejoicing in the middle of the mess, they may think that we're crazy for rejoicing right up until God delivers us out of the mess. And then they see what we've been rejoicing about. Because we've been rejoicing because, Lord, thank you, because you're going to get me out of this mess. I know you will. So I rejoice. And in that moment, when they see what God has taken us out of, at that moment, now they are in listening mode. Because how in the world did you come out of that? Well, let me tell you. I remember, uh, you know, hearing something in Bible college. They asked a, someone asked a nun, because she, she, she was somebody who had a lot of prayers answered in her life. And somebody went and they said, how do you get so many prayers answered? God gets you out of all kinds of stuff. And she said, when your praise basket is as full as your request basket, God delivers you. So she's somebody who understands, I praise him while I am asking him. 
So let's read on in this mess that Esther and the Jews were in, because this is a big mess. So verse 1 of chapter 5 says, On the first day of the fast, Esther put on her royal robes and entered the inner court of the palace. See, now she's going to face the problem. She's going to confront the issue. That's important. Amen? Jesus said, whoever speaks to this mountain. <laughs> so it says, on the first day of the fast, Esther put on her royal robes and entered the inner court of the palace, just across from the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne, facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing there in the inner court, he welcomed her and held out the gold scepter to her. So Esther approached and touched the end of the scepter. Then the king asked her, What do you want, Queen Esther? What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it is half the kingdom. <laughs> now this is a really good picture of the way most people think approaching what, what approaching God must be like. Many people who don't know him very well. They get nervous about approaching God, even Christians. Because they don't know, they, well, I don't know the proper way to talk to him. Or, or I just don't know how. Or they're afraid of, they're just afraid of him. And you know, Esther, Esther was afraid to approach the king even though he was her husband. And because the laws were so harsh. She also came from such a humble background. You know, think about that. She's an orphan. She's lost her father and mother. You know, she's just, she's a com she, she comes from a common birth. You know, I, I mean, how many ordinary people out in the world think God could never use me? I'm not special. I don't come from a rich family. Look at all the bad things I've done. Have you ever felt like that? I have. But in this story, we learn that God will use anyone who has the courage to trust him. And from Xerxes' reaction, we, can, we get the idea that he would never expect Esther to be afraid of that law. He's like, come on. You know, they did a movie about this a while back, and they made it such a tense moment where she was running in, and the king was, oh, no, and the guy had his sword, and the king was like, scepter, you know. But the truth is, is that he saw her in the, in the, in the court out there, and he, he said, come on. She's his queen. And he's happy to see her, whether she's invited or not. <laughs> I mean, there are times when we're, when we're doing service here, and it's like, it feels, I feel in my heart that God is opening up the floor for anyone who wants to come down and pray. But the, really, the truth is, is that the floor is always open. But God still retains the right to formally invite people, but you don't need a formal invitation. You understand what I'm saying? He can, he can tell you, I want you to spend some time with me, but that doesn't mean that you can't go to him anytime you want to. That's the beauty of our covenant. Because he can initiate, he can say, I want you to come, but you could also tell him, I want to come, and he'll say, good, come on in. That's grace. And favor. So, you know, in the, in the same way, God's happy when his people come into his presence. He's not interested in turning them away. You could put it that way. I'm not interested in turning you away because someone will come in and say, Lord, I feel so unworthy. And he's like, I'm not interested in that. I'm just glad you're here. <laughs> and he certainly doesn't want us to be afraid. And the Bible likens the church to a bride of Christ. This is what we call a spiritual parallel. Now, if we have, have something that we're doing in our lives that's not pleasing to God, because many of us are, that's, many people are afraid to approach God because of what they feel, oh, I've been doing this, I know I shouldn't have been doing this. But the truth is, is that when we approach him, he'll say, take care of this, just make it right with me, and stop doing that. That is God's desire. His desire is not to uh, distance himself. He always seeks reconciliation. I mean, right in the very beginning of the Bible, when Adam and Eve sinned, what's God do? He comes looking for them in the garden, calling out to them. This is God's heart. Amen. So yeah, yeah, if I've got something in my life that's not pleasing to him, he'll say, stop that. And I say, okay. 
and now we move on with our relationship. Amen? He's not going to execute us. <laughs> Being executed is the very thing that Esther was facing, okay? But she didn't let that stop her from doing what she could to help her people. So as you see, there's really a lot of themes working here, all in this, in this book right here. And they all work together. Because I suppose you could, you could uh, a person might approach God with some wrong beliefs about how he's going to receive them, but he's just happy they're there. And then over time, they'll start to say, oh, wow, I, when I approached God in fear, I really shouldn't have done that. But that's just learning. See, to God, it's like, I just want you here. Anyway. Verse 4. And Esther replied, this is after the king's welcomed her, and said, I'll give you half the kingdom. What do you want? And Esther replied, if it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a banquet I have prepared for the king. The king turned to his attendants and said, tell Haman to come quickly to the banquet, or a banquet as Esther has requested. So the king and Haman went to Esther's banquet. While they were drinking wine, the king said to Esther, now tell me what you really want. <laughs> I love that. God will do that too. You know, God knows what you want, but he'll some, tell me what you really want. I've had him tell me before. I've, I've gone to him and to ask him for something that I know I could ask for. And I'm kind of hemming and hawing around. You've ever done this with God? You're like, God, if it, you know, I just really, I don't know. You know I mean, I, and, and I've had him say, just ask. Just spit it out. Okay? So he says, now tell me what you really want. What is your request? I will give it to you even if it is half the kingdom. He meant that, by the way. <laughs> Esther replied, This is my request and deepest wish. If I have found favor with the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my request and do what I ask, please come with Haman tomorrow to the banquet I will prepare for you. Then I will explain what this is all about. Now, lots of people wonder why Esther gave two banquets instead of one, you know, so they concluded that Esther must have been afraid to speak up at the first banquet. And that may be true. You know, we don't know what was going on in her heart. She doesn't tell us, so maybe. But there's also a spiritual principle at work here. A law that God set in motion at the beginning. That, that law is called sowing and reaping. Okay? If you plant or sow apple seeds, what kind of trees are you going to get? Apple trees. If you, if you sow orange seeds, you plant orange seeds, what kind of tree are you going to get? Orange trees. Well, the law of sowing and reaping doesn't just work for things that we can see. It also works for things we can't see. If, if I yell at someone, I'm planting anger, what will I get back? Anger, usually, unless they, they break that cycle by responding in love, which is what Jesus told us to do. But Haman has no intention of walking in love toward the Jews. So what's he sowing? He's got this evil plan, and he's not doing it out in the open. It's a secret thing he's, he's, he's done, you know. He, 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 you know, and so now God is going to deal with Haman the same way he tried to deal with the Jews behind the scenes. God's dealing with it behind the scenes. Why? Because that's what, that's what Haman planted. So he's going to get back what he sowed. Esther has two banquets here, though she might not have done that on purpose. See, this is probably the reason why. You could say, or, or one of the reasons why she had a second banquet. Because God's going to take care of some things we're going to see here. But before we get to that, okay? Oh, he looks okay. We had a spill down here on aisle five. Okay, so earlier I quoted Romans 8.28 to you. God, we know God works all things together for those who love God and are called according to God's purpose. So he works things together through this law of sowing and reaping. Okay. Notice it said all things. He works all things together. That means even the plans of the enemy which are meant to do you harm. Or, or loss, okay? Eventually, those plans of the enemy, they must yield to all things working together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. They must yield because God works all things together. No matter what thing the enemy tries to throw in our way, God's like, I can take that and work that for good. Hmm. Your ultimate good. 
If you love God and are called according to his purpose, that is. But know that if you love God, you are called. Of course, you're, you're, you're called to salvation even if you don't love him. First of all, he's called everyone to salvation. But if you're not sure that you love God and you, you, you're just not sure, well, I don't, know, I don't know, I don't know about this loving God thing, well, treat him with love and you will be showing him love. Amen. Don't be afraid to approach his throne and discuss these things. Lord, I've got this, this plan, my plans have got messed up or, or suddenly this thing has come into my life and it's bringing loss, it's bringing poverty, it's bringing sickness, whatever. God's like, we can work that. And he'll always allow you into his presence to discuss these things. This is the age of grace. Amen. So this idea of God working to ultimately bring everything together so that it will be good is the other principle that's at work here. Let's continue at verse 9 in chapter 5. Haman was a happy man as he left the banquet. (laughs) But when he saw Mordecai sitting at the palace gate, not standing up or trembling nervously before him, Haman became furious. However, he restrained himself and went on home. Then Haman gathered together his friends and Zeresh, his wife, and boasted to them about his great wealth and his many children. He bragged about the honors the king had given him and how he had been promoted over all the other nobles and officials. Then Haman added, and that's not all. Queen Esther invited only me and the king himself to the banquet she prepared for us, and she has invited me to dine with her and the king again tomorrow. Then he added, but this is all worth nothing as long as I see Mordecai the Jew just sitting there at the palace gate. Here's another thing that we need to consider. He's, this guy's got, he, I mean, even though it may be ill-gotten gains or whatever, but he's, got, he's received honors from the king. Why can't he just be happy with that? Why does it count as nothing just because of this other guy? Why is he allowing this guy to stop him from being happy and blessed? That's just something to think about. Now, Haman's wife then, after this, she comes up with this plan to get rid of Mordecai. She figures, well, we'll just get rid of Mordecai, and then Haman will be happy. And she figures the king really likes Haman, so that he'll probably do Haman a favor if he asks. And she tells Haman to ask the king to have Mordecai executed. Just ask the king to have him executed. He'll probably do that for you. These people are trying to sow a lot of death, aren't they? It might not work out so well for them in the end, because death is not God's purpose. Death is something that came into the earth because of sin. At the beginning of chapter 6 is where we see God's behind-the-scenes plan start to fall into place. How many of you know God does work behind the scenes? Quite a bit. Quite a bit. So let's look at verse 1 here in chapter 6. It says, That night the king had trouble sleeping. I wonder why. So he ordered an attendant to bring the book of the history of his reign so it could be read to him. I think that's funny. Read me a story about things that I've done. That'll that'll make me sleepy, right? I'll be able to sleep now. In those records, he discovered an account of how Mordecai had exposed the plot of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the eunuchs who who guarded the door to the king's private quarters. They had plotted to assassinate King Xerxes. So it's like, wait a minute. (laughs) <laughs> this is something that's recorded in here, but we didn't read it. But there was these two guards that used to stand, stand watch at the king's private chambers, and they decided they were going to kill him. They're going to assassinate the king. Well, Mordecai found out about it and told Esther. And so Esther had an investigation mounted, and they found out, yeah, sure enough, these guys were going to assassinate you. And so they removed, they, they took them out, and, and they were removed. And so the king's life was saved. And now the king's finding out, Mordecai saved my life. Okay, so now it says in verse 3, what reward or recognition did we ever give Mordecai for this? The king asked. I want to reward this guy. Okay. His attendants replied, nothing has been done for him. Okay, now stop right there. (laughs) So the king suddenly remembers this time. Mordecai saved my life. And this is, again, the same Mordecai, Esther's uncle, who Haman's about to go ask the king to execute. Is it a good idea to ask the king to execute someone who saved the king's life? Haman's about to do that because Haman didn't know. Oh, what a tangled web we weave. But the end is not quite yet. Look at verse 6. 
It says, so Haman came in, and the king asked, what should I do to honor a man who truly pleases me? Haman thought to himself, whom would the king wish to honor more than me? So he replied, if the king wishes to honor someone, he should bring out one of the king's own royal robes, as well as a horse that the king himself has ridden, one with a royal emblem on its head. That doesn't mean much to us, but this is a big deal to these people. Okay. It let, let the robes and the horse be handed over to, the one, the king, uh, to one of the king's most noble officials and let him see that the man whom the king wishes to honor is dressed in the king's robes and led through, uh, through the city square on the king's horse. Have the official shout as they go, this is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor. <laughs> see where this is going, right? Excellent, the king said to Haman. Quick, take the robes and my horse and do just as you have said for Mordecai the Jew who sits at the gate of the palace. Leave out nothing you have suggested. So Haman took the robes and put them on Mordecai, placed him on the king's own horse and led him through the city square shouting, this is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor. Afterward, Mordecai returned to the palace gate, but Haman hurried home, dejected and completely humiliated. There's that, that verse that you know, I felt led to quote earlier when we were singing, that verse in Psalms that says, You prepare a feast before me in the presence of my enemies. Sometimes God will bless his people in front of the world so they will see how good he is to those who belong to him. And anyone can belong to God. Through Jesus, God has given everybody an open invitation. It's like, you, you want, do you want to be blessed? Ask Jesus into your heart. Verse 13. When Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends what had happened, his wise advisors and his wife said, Since Mordecai, this man who has humiliated you is of Jewish birth, you will never succeed in your plans against him. It will be fatal to continue opposing him. While they were still talking, the king's eunuchs arrived and quickly took Haman to the banquet Esther had prepared. Chapter 7. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet. On this second occasion, while they were drinking wine, the king again said to Esther, Tell me what you want, Queen Esther. What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it is half the kingdom. Queen Esther replied, If I have found favor with the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that my life and the lives of my people will be spared. For my people and I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. If we had merely been sold as slaves, I could remain quiet, for that would be too trivial a matter to warrant disturbing the king. Who would do such a thing? King Xerxes demanded. Who would be so presumptuous as to touch you? <laughs> Uh-oh. Esther replied, This wicked Haman is our adversary and our enemy. Haman grew pale with fright before the king and queen. Then the king jumped to his feet in a rage and went out into the palace garden. Haman, however, stayed behind to plead for his life with Queen Esther, for he knew that the king intended to kill him. In despair, he fell on the couch where Queen Esther was reclining, just as the king was returning from the palace garden. The king exclaimed, will he even assault the queen right here in the palace before my very eyes? And as soon as the king spoke, his attendants covered Haman's face, signaling his doom. And then right after that, of course, Haman's plot to execute Mordecai is exposed, and the king's like, have him executed. We're done with this man. So Haman's plans didn't work out too well for him. But there was still the problem of the decree calling for the death of the Jews because the king could not change a law that was in place. So it's like even though the enemy has been removed, we still have something we need to deal with here. Okay. So the king, even though he couldn't change the law, he gave his signet ring to Mordecai. That's representing his full authority. He said, you can't change the law, but write whatever law you want, tell the people whatever you want. So a new law had to be made, giving the Jews the right to defend themselves if anyone tried to harm them. See, before they had no right to protect their lives. Now they can protect their lives. Okay? So even though the law working against God's people couldn't be done away with, it could be thwarted. God essentially did the same thing with the law of sin and death. People's sin is the reason they go to hell. God did, didn't do away with sin, but he did send Jesus to pay for our sin on the cross. 
so that sin no longer has any power over, the, over us who have said out loud that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart God has raised him from the dead. So that's a defense against sin, the power of sin. So God, God thwarted the law of sin and death, as the Bible calls it. The Bible actually calls it the law of sin and death that works against people, works against mankind. And God made a way that that law could be thwarted. See? And even though God is not mentioned in the book of Esther, we see that he is content to work behind the scenes to protect and bless his people. Actually, it says in the book of Esther that a lot of the people became Jews when that decree was sent out. And so when we, this is the parallel, you know, it's like the Jews are God's people. We are God's people. We've been grafted in, as the word said. So this was, a, this was an increase to God's kingdom. People became Jews simply because of these events that happened. But see that uh, God working that out doesn't mean that we can just sit back and expect God to do everything for us. You notice that Mordecai and Esther had to do some things as well. Amen? God put Mordecai into a position to save the king's life, which ended up, God worked it out so that there was this, <laughs> this uh, foreshadow, if you, of, if, you, if you will, of God you know, blessing Mordecai publicly instead of Haman. But, it, but if Mordecai had just sat back and done nothing, the king wouldn't have been there to reward him later on. Would have been dead. God put Esther into a position to become the queen of the Persian Empire. She was in a position to talk to the king about saving her people. But what if she hadn't gathered the courage to do it? Mordecai told her that if she didn't, he was sure that deliverance would come from elsewhere because God was going to deliver his people no matter what. But he calls people and they, it's up to them to respond. They don't respond. He's like, okay, then how about you? Because he could work it out anyway. Didn't have, deliverance didn't have to come through the queen. He could, have, he could have worked it out a different way. But the fact is, is that, that God wanted to use her to do it. Hmm. So, so if God sets us up to do something, he's still able to get it done if we fail. But he's glad to work with us and help us to fulfill the plan that he's given each of our lives. You know, I talked to a worship leader one time, and he's a pretty talented worship leader. But he was looking at a different worship leader who's got, like, all these albums and all this stuff, you know. And he said, he said that guy is so talented, talented, why should I even bother? I said, look, you can reach people he can't. Just like he can reach people you can't. Don't, 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 don't I mean, understand that God wants you to do this, and he's with you, and he will help you. Amen. And it's true that, you know, we are living in difficult times. But don't forget that God knew the times that you would be living in when he put you on this earth. He designed you to live and be successful in this time. Be successful in what he's called you to do. He won't ask you to do more than you're able as long as you stay by his side and continue to grow up in him, you will be able to do what he has called you to do for such a time as this. Amen? How do you feel about this? You, you all encouraged? Yes. Praise God. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the encouragement you give us in your word and the fact that you show, us, you, you show yourself time and time and time again to be faithful. So, Father, I, I pray that as we go out that you, you, you give us opportunity to fulfill the plan that you have for each of our lives. It doesn't matter how old, young, rich, poor, talented or untalented or, or whatever. It doesn't matter. That you will, be, you will, you will make us able to, to be able to succeed. You will put opportunity in our lives to, to fulfill the call to run the race well. And so we thank you, Lord, and pray, the, pray for boldness, and we pray for signs, wonders, and miracles. We pray for your help in this. And we thank you, and we love you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You're all dismissed.
uh, use the, and you, you want to stand on this side so you can be in the shot. I'm sorry, Rosie, but that's the rule. <laughs> rules are rules. Okay, so. Um, Okay. <laughs> Am I good? Okay. So um, this is Pastor Appreciation Month. And so we didn't want to let it go by without recognizing our wonderful pastor. And um, so about five years ago, we were blessed to be able to have Pastor uh, Phil agree to become our pastor. And along with him, his wonderful family, Tammy and Chloe, Samuel and Isaac, and we are so happy that they are part of our family. So I wanted to present you you. with this. And I would also like, I would also like to um, lift up our pastor in prayer real quick. Um, But to go ahead and honor social distancing, if you would, just wherever you are, just you can raise your hand towards our pastor as I pray. And Pastor Phil, we are very, very happy that you're our pastor. And thank you for all you have done, Aunt Tammy and the whole family. You guys are truly a blessing to us. Okay. So on that note, Heavenly Father... Thank you so much for sending this family to New Life in Christ. You knew what we needed before we even knew what we needed. And so thank you for sending the perfect pastor. Um, Right now, Father God, I just ask that you just empty him out of everything, Father, and fill him up with your spirit, Father. Fill him completely up with the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Father, we also ask that you just give him fresh ideas, Give him rest, Father, just a refreshing, Father God. Uh, We just ask that he continues to be sensitive to the Spirit, Father, as he has been, and just lead him and guide him and open those doors, Father God, and, and let him know those are the doors that you have opened for him and that he can undoubtedly just walk through them knowing those doors were opened by you. Father, I just pray that... um, that you just give, just give him that renewing, Father, and um, that refreshing. Father, we love him so much. We love his family. We ask that you continue watching over him, protecting the family, Father, and just keep bringing new, new people, new hearts into new life in Christ, Father, so that Pastor Phil can minister to them as he has ministered to us in such a loving, compassionate way. We just thank you. We lift up this family to you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. So now you're dismissed.